This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Each Friday, we always come out with a new person that we've interviewed to share some wonderful knowledge, drop some information to help you raise your consciousness, awareness, to help you be more of who you are, express more of yourself, and so much more. In this episode, I had a blast um, interviewing Dr. Jeff Skolnick. He has such a huge, diverse background. Uh, Dr. Jeff, he is, he's, he's got a, a diplomate in the American Board of Psychiatry, Psychiatry and Neurology. He's a fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He's a clinic assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Washington. He has a 30-year experience psychiatrist in hospitals, community mental health centers, and psychotherapy private practice. In brain science, he's a former doctoral student in neuropsychology, completing coursework and doing brain research for three years. He is the creator of the Satori West Method, the Brain Evolution and Brain Shifting Skills. 
In Buddhism, 40-year advanced Zen Buddhist practitioner and teacher, previously in track of ordination. In wellness, he has a doctorate in natural health science. Administration, he's an experienced medical director, chief medical officer for five organizations, and certified physician leadership program, undergrad director of paraprofessional counseling services, University of South Florida, paraprofessional counselor and lecturer. In marketing, he's the author of three books, one published, two in the editorial process. He's a media consultant for radio and TV and a public speaker. Dr. Jeff is amazing. He has such a wealth of information and I love his, his process and his path of what he has gone through because I can relate to that a lot because you come from a very left brain centered world where you're in the doctorate world and those types of things. But then he brings the right side with Buddhism and other things like that. And he's kind of coined this together in a really nice way. And he's going to share with you in this episode, all that and so much more. So I had a really great time just connecting with him, listening to the amazing knowledge that this man has and how he can help all of us expand a little bit more and how we can break through our tunnel thinking, tunnel ways, tunnel vision, and so much more to uh, allow us to break through so that we can experience more, expand more, evolve more, and truly expand as best as we possibly can. So with no further ado, here is Dr. Jeff Skolnick. Well, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I love all the diverse background you come from with psychiatry and then the brain science and Buddhism and wellness and, and all and administration. All you just got a whole vast background. So I'm really excited today to uh, pick your brain and 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 have the benefit be to the listeners to to learn more about you, what you're up to, and so much more. Great. Well, so as the listeners know, I always like to ask the question of before we get started, is just how did you get into this journey? Because you have a lot of different sectors, uh, uh, you know, in different aspects of life that you, you are, have expertise in. So I'm kind of curious, was it a, a one-way path or was it, uh, how'd that happen? That's a great question. So, I mean, it brings together different paths and they kind of all kind of converged to help me create the method. So uh, one is that... Um, it really started when I was in high school, actually, and I was reading a book in psychology that posed the question, uh, isn't, it, isn't it odd that the brain ultimately is just a collection of chemicals, but somehow can wake up and know it's alive? And that was a very mind-blowing moment for me. And I had this passion to, to be a psychologist and study consciousness and at the same year, coincidentally, we went on a tour of the Hope Hospital ship where I lived in Miami. And I had this, wow, I want to be a doctor and go around the world and help indigent people. And, you know, I was kind of torn. And then I decided, well, I could be a psychiatrist and be both, which was really kind of neither. Um, so I, uh, I started on the path of being a psychiatrist. And uh, in my psychiatric residency, I was in a program uh, that's for a doctorate in, in uh, neuropsychology. And in there, I did some brain research. Uh, but I was, you know, I was very interested in consciousness. Like, how does the brain wake up and, you know, and know it's alive? And what does that mean? Uh, and so I came up with some models while I was doing that. At the same time, uh, I, very early on, about, well, exactly 40 years ago in 1980, um, I started uh, practicing Zen Buddhism and I was very, I mean, I had an immediate attraction to it. 
And um, what attracted me mostly besides the, the, you know, the meditation was the stories of people's enlightenment and how they kind of woke up. And so I was making connections between the waking up of the sort of spiritual waking up and, and what it is in the brain that's doing that. And so, uh, you know, those paths were separate for a while and then they sort of slowly came together to create this Tory West method. And the third path uh, story was that I had been interested in, in wellness and in sort of naturopathy and natural health. And somewhere along the way, I guess I just was, didn't want to stop going to school. So I did a, a program in natural health science and that kind of did also weave in kind of perfectly into this Tory West method. That's fascinating. And, and my question I have for you is what is your definition then of enlightenment? So, <laughs> that, that's a great question. And the answer may be unsatisfying until you really plumb the depths of it. But enlightenment to me is when the brain realizes itself, that all it's experiencing is itself. I like that. That's simple, straightforward, and easy. And I think that's huge when it, it, it comes to that having just you know, you, you, it's yourself. And to me, I, I add always to the mind too, it's like everything starts and ends with you. And once you realize that this is just this, an experience that you're going through, um, then it becomes a different perspective than what the human conditioning is because you have the, the human side of things and the spiritual side of things. And it's one of those, uh, um, how do you become more aware? Like, would you say it's more like just um, awareness in a sense a little bit too? Or how would you put the term yeah. It is awareness, and actually, this is this is part of the part of the story West method itself. Is that so? Uh, I guess I can jump ahead here. So when so if you think about the brain being aware of itself, you realize that our whole universe is is really created by our brain. Um, so, for instance, you know, light comes into your eyes; it's ba- it bounces off of objects, goes to the back of your retina, and becomes upside down and they go through the optic nerve has just been like nerve impulses, sort of like a Morse code. And then the back of the brain reinterprets that Morse code into some type of visual image. Uh, but there's no light inside your head. You're not actually seeing the image. You're seeing your, your brain's Morse code of the image and you're sort of decoding it in, in, in your brain. And so there's no out there. It's all sort of in here. And so there is a, it's almost sort of, it's not illusory that we experience things, but, you know, the interpretation of what's happening around us and within us and in our own imagination is more subjective than we realize. And there, there can be part of the awakening is to that. I like that. That and it's you know they always I, I use a phrase everything starts and ends with you, would yeah. that relate to what you're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the other where we're where this Horus method heads with this is that uh, there are you know there's two there's a there's a spectrum, uh, and the spectrum goes from from crisis and misery where people do things they would never normally do like road rage or, or suicide or something. And then to the other end of the spectrum, which, which is enlightenment, but 
even if you go halfway down the spectrum, your life's going to be a lot better. And it has to do with how the brain is configured on, on both ends. So I'm happy to jump into that with you whenever. whenever. I love to. Let's, let's go. Let's talk about this. I'm all, I love neuroscience, neurology, functional neurology, all this. So this is my, this is my uh, passion. So let, 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 let's let the listeners uh, walk us through it. Okay, great. So, by the way, Satori, the word Satori is a Japanese word for enlightenment. And the West is a kind of the Western understanding of enlightenment in the whole spectrum from suffering to, to enlightenment. And that is a lot of what Buddhism talks about, which is that, you know, how life is, is essentially suffering. That's the first of the four noble truths of Buddhism. And in a modern Western psychological understanding of that is that we, you know, childhood is no picnic for most people. Uh, you know, even with, with the best of parents, kids, kids are sensitive, they get hurt, but then, you know, most, most childhoods are not great. And then you go into adolescence and that's has turmoil and teenage years. And then are, you know, you're, you're trying to liberate yourself from your parents. And then you head into adulthood and there's pressures and everyone's sort of competing with each other. And it's not as much fun as adolescents think it's going to be. And then there's loss throughout life. People get, people get sick, they get mental illness as well as physical illnesses and pain and, and then they go into old age and there's that horrific feeling of losing control and having to give it over to other people. So life, life is hard and there is, there is suffering throughout it. Even for people who have a charmed life on the surface, beneath the surface, there's still, you know, there's in our quiet times, we're still stressing. We're still unhappy. There's a lot of research that shows that stress is sort of endemic in, in the world and always has been to a certain extent. And then, you know, we go from sort of little crisis to little to crises, whether they're big or little. So in the Satori West method, the, un, the understanding is that there's a difference between physical and emotional pain and suffering. And what that, what suffering, it's an extra element of being attached or caught up into our emotional pain. And so the reason why we're caught up into our emotional pain, the reason why we suffer. So, you know, it's one thing, you know, for instance, you can cry, you can be, you can be sad, but you don't have to suffer it so, so, so intensely. And the reason has to do with kind of a glitch uh, in the human brain. So if you're ready, Vic, I'll just, uh, <laughs> I'll just go through the, the litany. So, yeah, go for it. Okay. So, Animals from reptiles all the way up to, to humans, uh, we, are, we are survival machines. And uh, whenever, we want, whenever we want something or we don't want something or we're afraid of something, what happens to our brain is that we automatically focus our attention on it. And that focus of attention uh, causes us to react so that we can get out of a situation or that we can get what we want. And so it works for animals, but it has a problem for humans in that that focus of attention uh, changes the human mind in ways that are not healthy for us. And that's why suffering is so much part of humanity. As a matter of fact, 
you know, it's been widely called the human condition because there's so much suffering in humans. And that is the reason is because our brains are configured for survival. And whenever we lock our attention onto something, we know if you're hungry, you're going to focus on chocolate cake. If you see a chocolate cake sitting there or you'll, you smell food, if you're afraid of something, you know, like if you, you hear a noise outside and you don't know what it is and you focus your attention on it, that changes the human mind. And so it changes it in fairly predictable ways that the Satori West method calls tunnel vision. And tunnel vision is very important to understand because if you understand tunnel vision and you can see it in yourself and you see how it arises in all its myriad forms, it, it gives you power to understand how to unwind it. And that is part of going to the other end of the spectrum towards enlightenment, which is, you know, kind of way down the other end of the spectrum. So there, there are several ways that, that tunnel vision changes the human mind. The first way is that when you pay attention to something, you're more likely to interact with it in some way, right? So if, I, if I'm hungry and I see chocolate cake, and even if I know that I'm diabetic or on a diet, if, I, if my, I can't get my attention away from focusing on it exclusively, there's a very good chance eventually I'm going to eat it. Uh, it's the same with, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you see alcohol. Um, it's the same like if you, if you hear the noise outside and you're, you know, you're, you're afraid of the sound, eventually you're going to start to, to kind of run away. You might run out of the house even. So there's initially sort of a stimulus response connection that you start losing control the more you pay attention to something. And, and there's a series of things, and I won't go into them in too much depth, Vic, but um, the second thing that happens is that, and these happen simultaneously. They don't really always happen in, in, like in sequence. But as you lose control, you start to, beget, you start to get more, more suggestible. I think that's the way that people get hypnotized in a way is that, you know, when the hypnotist classically, you know, waves a, a you know, watch in front of your face and he says, you know, you're freezing cold, you're freezing cold. Eventually you're going to start to believe them. That's how like television producers, you know, make you believe things. They get you to pay attention to something on a commercial, even if it's not even related to the product. And then you hear the words and then you start to believe them. So the believability, and that's a big big part of it. Um, and then the, the kind of next thing that happens is that your, your ego starts to inflate the sense of the sense of self, the sense of being you like a separate person in the world, going through the world that starts to get magnified. And that looks like a lot of different ways. It's not just like, wow, I feel like I'm better than everyone. It can also be a sense of inferiority. It can also be a sense that you take everything personally, even if it's not meant to be personal. Like you're, you can also feel like you're the center of attention when you're maybe not, or maybe not as much as you think. It makes you also feel like you're in the outside of life looking in, like everyone is celebrating Christmas except for you. Everyone has a happy life, and on and on and on. It makes you competitive and compare things. And as that ego inflates and causes you to feel like you're somehow separate and different, it distorts your thinking because that ego 
you know, causes you to feel like you, you know everything, like you can, like things should be a certain way. It's, you know, it's, things must be or have to be a certain way. Things are all or nothing. You're like, you know what the future is. People who, who have tunnel vision in depression often feel like this is going to last forever. I'm certain of it. And that's what causes a lot of their misery. So all those things together create tunnel vision. And if you recognize them, even in their most subtle forms, you, you have a lot of power to say, oh, that's, not, that's, that's my tunnel vision creating this. That's why, I'm, that's why I don't have control over eating. That's why I, I, you know, my ego gets inflated. My feelings get hurt. And I take things personally. And, you know, and, and a lot of the distorted thinking comes from, say, like cognitive behavior therapy. So that's the one side is tunnel vision. And it can get so constricted. And people can, people's egos get so inflamed that they feel like there's no alternative sometimes but to but to suicide or, or but to, you know, do kind of radical things that they would never normally do when they're in serious crisis. So the, the new, the Satori West definition of a crisis is very severely constricted tunnel vision. Interesting. Now, would you say, because sometimes there's groups out there, and I know in my journey through energy medicine and understanding universal laws and in the spirit community or new age movement or however you want to term it, but they, they'll, some people will be like, ego is bad. Ego is the enemy. That is the thing we need to overcome and transcend. What's your opinion and, 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 and so forth when it comes to that about ego? Great question. Uh, <laughs> I, I mm. so let me so Vic, let me explain it by jumping to the other end of the continuum or, or getting close to the other end and see if I can kind of and I'll, I'll try to answer it more directly when I do that. Is that okay? That's perfect. Go for it. Okay. So, what is at the other end of tunnel vision is what I call perspective, and perspective happens because of another really interesting configuration of the human brain that is also like other animals, but it affects us in a very different way. Um, and that the, it comes from the fact that you don't have just one brain sitting in your head. You know, it's like, it's not like you have like a, you know, some like a large ball and it gets cut in half and there's, you know, half and half. You actually have two separate brains. They each have separate awareness. They each have separate prefer preferences. They each see the world in very different ways. Um, and that's kind of how we, that's how animals survive is that you, you can, you know, one part of the brain sees things in sequence, the other part sees things more holistically. And by doing that combined, you can survive better. So what's unique about humans is that those two parts of our brain um, are, are fairly aware of each other. And that's what gives us a sense of being alive. Uh, that's, you know, the awareness of one side to the other is, is what's responsible, at least in, my, in this Satori West model, for self-awareness. It's not self in the sense that you just asked me, like the ego. It's a reflective inner awareness that it is aware of itself. And when the two parts of the two brains in your head are entrained on each other, which you do get eventually with a, with a lot of mindfulness or what I call brain shifting, kind of very interesting things happen to humans is that we start to kind of come alive. 
we start to really penetrate the moment. And even more than just what we're experiencing in the moment, our senses and our thoughts, whatever, there's this sort of ineffable, like indescribable sense of aliveness that makes the moment sort of pop more into reality. And you realize, for instance, you know, just to put thoughts to it, that how remarkable it is that you're here right now, how this moment is never going to happen again, that you're only going to be this age once. And, and that how precious that moment is and that, you know, a year from now, you may look back on this moment and wish that you were this age now. Or you may realize what, how the astronomical odds against which you were born. I mean, not only did, you know, the one sperm out of millions have to, you know, get together and your parents had to meet, all your ancestors had to meet. And not only that, humans had to evolve, the planet had to come into existence, the universe had to come into existence. Your, your existence, this moment, is, is no less than sort of a scientific miracle. And what that does is that opens up your awareness so that you're not focused on any one thing. Your, your experience is larger, your brain shifted. And that brain shifting helps you get perspective. And when you have perspective, you can step back from the kind of the external things in life and you can witness things with, with context. Uh, so for instance, if someone is, and this is, I'm getting to your question about ego. So if someone is, for instance, screaming at you and, you know, instantly you go into tunnel vision, you know, you start to focus on them and then you eventually, if you focus long enough, you're going to want to like verbally get back at them or hit them or whatever, you know, you start to believe what they're saying. Uh, your ego gets inflated. You take it wet wildly personally. You start like this should never happen. Your thinking gets distorted, but with perspective, when your brain is a little brain shifted, you can see the person in context and go like, wow, that is a really angry person. And you don't take it as personally. Um, and you, so it gives you that kind of maturity. It gives you, when you have that degree of perspective, you can see irony, you can see humor in situations. Uh, it's only because we have self-awareness that we're able to see humor, humor and irony. Um, there's a sense of empathy and compassion and love that sort of, that sort of upwells and this intense sense of gratitude for everything. And, and it, you know, so with tunnel vision, you would take things personally and you, send, you tend to magnify the negative uh, and kind of minimize the positive with perspective. All those ways of distorted thinking tend to reverse and that sense of self tends to diminish. And so the answer is that a diminished sense of self is actually healthy because your brain doesn't need that sense of self to function. Uh, it's an, it, in some ways, it's a, it's a survival artifact that outgrows its usefulness as you hit adulthood. And, and you can get to a point, and, you know, and, and in the Satori West method, when I use this with psychiatric patients or in hospitals or even in some ways, even with Buddhist groups that I, that I talk to, um, you don't have to talk about enlightenment, but just regular garden variety perspective you feel a, like a decrease in sense of self. It, it's, a, it's liberating. It's, it's a relief that you have some sense of inner self-control. Um, so, I mean, that is 
the long-winded answer to your question, if that helps. I like long-winded answers. You know, you, you, you give a backstory, <laughs> you connect the dots, and then you give the answer, and it's like, ah, that makes sense. All right, I see how you can't, that whole thing comes together. Yeah. How does a mind... Because, you know, I'm assuming that you have to, you got the, you know, to be able to see things in different perspectives. Is it, you know, is sometimes people out when in conversations with people and I know they'll be like, well, you're just, you're, they'll call me like an optimist or see these in this way. And I'm always like, well, there's, there's, there's two, there's the law of polarity. It states that there's one opposite to the other. So you can always shift. Um, just depends how you look at it. Um is this something that people just have or is this something you can condition and be learn, learn it to be more, I guess I, I like, I want to use the word flexible in your thinking or more um, open to other th perspectives or other things and things like that. So uh, I love the fact that all your questions sort of move me to the next part of the tutorial method. <laughs> so <laughs> I can try to get into that. So, so I guess the short answer to you, Vic, is that, um, you know, everyone suffers the human condition, everyone, and everyone is in some degree of tunnel vision. And yes, you, you can learn. That's what meditation is. Uh, brain shifting just takes meditation and it kind of, it breaks it down because it's a series of different exercises that teach you how to activate certain circuits in your higher brain so that the brain is entrained and can see itself more, more fully. Um, so, and in the Satoris, so the Satoris method is different than say cognitive behavior therapy in a way. And that in cognitive behavior therapy, you look at irrational thoughts and you challenge them and you say how they're irrational and then you come up with the rational counter, counter thought. Um, in the Taurus method, which is more like mindfulness or, you know, like sort of it's really Buddhism in a way, is that it's just the awareness itself. It's the widening of, of, of awareness that, and, the, and the focus inward on, on the moment that helps your thoughts just automatically start to change so that people with perspective who can step back, who don't take things personally, who are not as suggestible who are not as reactive. Um, those are all the elements of tunnel vision. Um, they, they tend to uh, be just naturally more optimistic because they're not magnifying the negative naturally and minimizing the positive. So people's personalities change for the better. It's not that everyone gets the same personality because people with perspective, even wide perspective, even people with, who are spiritually enlightened, say, can still cry. They can still have human emotions, but they're not suffering them. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all personality, but it's definitely, by any definition, it is, it is the definition of mental health, that perspective you know, leading to the gateway to spiritual awakening or enlightenment, um, it changes your personality in very positive ways that, that have you not only not suffer life, but to wake up and appreciate it on a magnitude that you were not capable of before. I think that's really, I like the way you explain it because it's, it's one of those, um, um, the shift in perspectives, but you know, my question that was everything you were saying, I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, how much does the prefrontal cortex play a role? How much does that part of the brain, um, does that part of the brain 
give us more of our humanness, more of the things that you're explaining here and, and, you know, meditation in that perspective and, and other things help in that process? Yeah. So I, I left out a lot of details in my explanation of the human brain and what, you know, what causes perspective. Um, one of the models that I worked on in my, in my neuropsychology doctoral uh, program was, was, well, what causes awareness on each side of the brain? Um, and what I, what I modeled and believe is that there's an area of the prefrontal cortex and possibly the, the um, you know, the, well, anyway, a sub area of the prefrontal cortex and a sub area of the parietal cortex that's responsible for multimodal sensory information. And that, that prefrontal area, they actually, believe it or not, anatomically, they're very far apart in the brain. One's towards the back and one's in the very front, but uh, they are, they're connected with a single track of, of fibers all the way from the front to the back and the back to the front. Um, they're called like reciprocally and monosynaptically connected. And I believe that the, the resonance between the frontal prefrontal area and that posterior parietal lobular area causes, it's almost like, like a, you know, like a dolphin sends out sonar. It's like the prefrontal area sends it to the back and the back sends it to the front and somehow awareness emerges. And when you can, in train when you can use your prefrontal cortex and that back of your brain, that's what helps you meditate. That's what helps you, you know, be able to step back and not take things personally because you have, because you're causing your two brains to train, to focus on each other. And that's what helps you, you know, have, have perspective, have self-awareness, all the things that makes us kind of very human. You know, and so I've often said that, you know, humans are insanely intelligent, but it's not our intelligence, which is amazing and incredible, but it's our ability to be self-aware that helps us use that intelligence in creative, interesting ways, both in science and the arts. And without that self-awareness, that intelligence wouldn't really go anywhere. And it's, it's very possible that those two things evolved, you know, maybe in tandem with, with each other. Does that answer your question? Or was I kind of off on the tangent? No, you were great. I love it. I appreciate that. And is there a difference, you know, and I I may be going in a different route here, but I'm just curious. um, Is it, you know, when it comes to awareness and the tracks going back and forth, does that have anything to do difference with, is there a difference in that between a male and a female at all? Because I know from a neurological perspective, I know men were more, men's brains are more front to back kind of communication processes and so forth where women are more cross-sectional. Um, I'm just curious if that has, if that's even anything. I'm just um, thinking out loud now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, not that I'm aware of. I, mean, I think, uh, well, <laughs> so let me, uh, you know, I want to get too much into the weeds here. So what, so the, one of the things that happens when the brain, when those two, when your two brains focus on each other is that one of the things that pulls us into tunnel vision is language uh, and using words to focus our attention on things. So if like that is a tree, that's a wall, this is by feeling, it causes, it helps our attention focus almost exclusively. And that's what, then we, you know, go into tunnel vision. Well, it's really the left cerebral hemisphere of the brain that 
that uses verbal language where the right side has more of emotional language, whatever. And so part of this process of brain shifting, which I, I, I should probably talk about, like how you go from tunnel vision to perspective, how do you actually do that? Um, involves when, the, when you meditate, when you do brain shifting, when you do mindfulness in a certain way, uh, and those two, your two brains focus on each other, you start shifting from a left hemisphere dominant brain to more equal. And sometimes you can do it so radically that you shift over to the right hemisphere for a short time. And it's like, wow, this sort of this radical awakening. And then it, as it shifts back to more equal dominance, because the two hemispheres are equally aware of each other, um, that's a, an advanced stage of awakening. So women, to get to your question, women may have a sl- of somewhat of an advantage in that they tend to be less left hemisphere intensely dominant. Um, and so they, they have a little bit more of a holistic way, a little bit more of an emotional way of seeing the moment. And so that may get them a little bit of a leg up in terms of brain, brain shifting, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And that's why I was, I was asking, because that was my intention of it. Because it's one of the things where I've learned is that, you know, when we look at the brain and we look at women versus, uh, versus males, um, we know that from a neurological perspective that uh, women are more, a little bit more advanced than males are when it comes to things. We're a little behind on some stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think we tend to be pulled into tunnel vision more. And that's why men tend to be, I believe, more aggressive. They tend to I mean, women, obviously, everyone takes things personally, and, and everyone, you know, when the ego is inflamed, we all compete and compare ourselves, and women are not, you know, exempt from that, but they may have a little bit of a leg up. And so, hey, Vic, before, before it's, we wrap up, I, I probably should tell you a little bit about how you go from tunnel vision to perspective and how that pulled in wellness. Do you mind? Let's do it. Yeah, that would be my question, so let's do it. Perfect. So there, there are four ways in general that you can go from tunnel vision to, to perspective. And this is important for people to understand. So number one way that we tell patients in the hospital, I tell my patients, we have, there's, you know, there's a hospital program and, a, and, a, and an outpatient partial hospital program where they're learning the Satori West method, almost like in that outpatient program, almost exclusively. And what they, what they learn is that Number one, recognize your tunnel vision when you're in it, because that is how that recognition itself is a causes a little bit of a brain shift. It it is perspective itself to just know that you're taking something personally, to know that you're, you know, that you're losing control, that you're more suggestible, more you know, you believe things more. All those you know, your thoughts are distorted. That is perspective. That's number one. Number two is that practice this for brain shifting or, you know, actually, so brain shifting starts with garden variety mindfulness. So just being aware of your breath, you know, feeling the moment, getting more into your senses. And one of the things that tunnel vision causes, it causes you to get sucked into your head, into your imagination, which is why we, our ego gets inflamed. We take things personally. So part of normal meditation or, or mindfulness or brain shifting, which takes mindfulness to the next couple of levels. Um, but that's more of an advanced thing. But just for anyone, um, practice mindfulness every day so that when you're in tunnel vision, it's easier to get out of it 
because you can get out of your head and out of your ego. So the third way, so these are, I mean, these are all of these things I'm telling you, as, the aspects of tunnel vision, the aspects of getting, going from tunnel vision to, to perspective, these are hour-long uh, group psychoeducational curricula. So I'm just kind of throwing it out. I, I hope it's not too confusing. So the, the, the third way to go from tunnel vision to perspective, so the second way that mindfulness, that brain shifting, meditation, however you want to call it, is a direct way to get perspective. It is literally shifting how your brain works in that moment. There are many backdoor ways to do that from six spheres of wellness, right? That cause your brain to shift by itself, whether you kind of want it to or not almost. So the six spheres are physical, mental, social, organizational, moral and existential wellness. So, and if you don't mind, Vic, I'll just zip through like a couple of examples of each one just to well, show how that happens. Is that okay? We'll, we'll love for you to go ahead. Great. So, so say in physical wellness. Um, so if your body is, if you're, if you're eating well, if you're taking care of yourself and you're physically healthy, you feel this sense of aliveness that causes your brain to shift on its own. That even goes for like, like taking, you know, if you need psychiatric medication, that also helps your brain, you know, get normal and so that it, so that you can, you know, continue your health. And so that's one example. So from the mental wellness perspective, if you know who you are, you know, you know, what your issues are, what your triggers are, what pulls you into tunnel vision, so to speak, where you're, you know, from your family origin and your, your upbringing and how you're your thoughts create your feelings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or if you're in psychotherapy, you have perspective. That's what psychotherapy does is it helps you get perspective. I mean, really almost kind of nothing else as far as I'm concerned. So in the realm of social wellness, if you, if you have love in your life, if you, if you can assert yourself and take care of yourself and all these various things, you naturally feel a sense of empowerment which is a part of, of having perspective and a sense of love, which is also part of perspective. So in the organizational realm, this is a little bit, this may be a little bit of stretch for people, how, you know, having your finances in order and your house in order and preparing for disasters. But if you go into Zen centers where I've been, you know, meditating for 40 years, they're like immaculately clean. You know, when I've been on retreats and had to clean, we clean the bathrooms like spotless because it, it lifts you. So like when I make my bed in the morning, it gives me a lift before I meditate. So anyway, not to go into that, but it gives you a sense of perspective. The other area, the other next area is moral wellness. So, I mean, that's also like a several hour talk, but if you live your life, for example, with kindness, with integrity, with honesty, you know, and you come up with some precepts or vows that you try to keep, you know, because having the vows are better than not having them, you are you're sort of setting yourself up for perspective in times when you would be naturally pulled into tunnel vision, right? So if you say like, I would just, I'm going to be a kind person or follow the gold rule or whatever, or follow your religion. So that's another way. That's a very important way to get, keep perspective. And then the last is existential wellness. And certainly, you know, practicing religion, uh, believing in a higher power, uh, you know, the, you know, 10 commandments, you know, helps you get perspective, but you can even in a secular way, 
um, just practicing gratitude, you know, that, that shifts your brains. And you can, you can do a hundred, like a million, infinite number of things that you're grateful for. You can, so the other aspect of, of existential wellness is just to see beauty in art which also gives you a sense of perspective and helps you, you know, do all those things that you get when you come out of tunnel vision, not take things as personally, et cetera, et cetera. So if you add all those things together, your brain will shift to a very high extent on its own and your life will have, will be kind of smoking with natural perspective, but you have to kind of combine, in my opinion, the direct with the indirect together. And that's what the Satori West method really is. The, so the fourth way, and I'll try to make this quick, that you go from tunnel vision to perspective um, is, is also, it, it's kind of a, happens on purpose, can also happen by itself, is crisis, hardship. That is the subject of my next book, actually, is that crises and hardship paradoxically help people see their tunnel vision when they can't normally. So Vic, you and I are probably in some degree of tunnel vision, some degree of perspective as well, but some degree of tunnel vision, you're not never in sort of one or the other, but our tunnel vision is invisible because it's conditioned into us so much from childhood, we can't see it. But when we are suffering or when we are in crisis, worse yet, you can see it more clearly because you can see how you're taking things personally. You can see how you lost control more obviously. We're here normally, you know, we're, you know, we have egos. We're trying to get to the next moment. We're driven by, you know, our idea of getting ahead and comparing and competing, but we don't recognize it. So, and sometimes when people are in such severe crises that they're, they can't, their left hemisphere can't, can't get any stronger there's an automatic sort of release and people have great openings and great awakenings just from that alone. So um, those are the four avenues to perspective uh, from tunnel vision to perspective. I love that. And that, and just doing those things, I think it can create, and as you know, from your experience and research and everything you've been doing, that just creates radical change for individuals and radical, you know, it, it helps them, I always say we, we try to bring more of the humanness of an individual uh, as much as we possibly can. And I think that can help uh, massively in, in so many ways for individuals. So I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share that with the, the listeners and, and to practice this stuff. Cause it, it is, is we all have tunnel vision and you can't get away from it. Um, uh-huh. you know, I, I always, th- I always say that to my, because of my clients I work with, I'm always like, listen, even I have, uh, uh, blinders on that I have to always try to be, I'm always trying to be as aware as I possibly can. Um, but I'm human, there's limitations and I'm, I have to go, like you said, I love how you brought up the crisis point because that is so true. Uh, I wrote a whole book about like the darkness of life and how the, the beauty of it is and what it actually does for us um, and how to embrace it more. But it's one of the things where uh, it, it comes to that, that aspect where we do need that to kind of like, I joke around. I like, this is how I like to do things. I need sometimes a slap in the head just to wake up a little bit more. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. So, so Jeff, really quick, how can people connect with you? How can they find you? See what you're up to your new book when it comes out, like how they follow you in all these ways. So you can go to Satori West, S A T O R I W E S T dot com and uh, there if you sign up for the mailing list then we can tell you when the book is coming out i'm doing i'll do i'm actually doing a book tour even advance a book 
even in advance of the book coming out um, in January. So you can find out about that. I, I, I don't have the dates and, and things in my head, but if you sign up for the emailing list, we can, we can let you know. Um, and then, you know, we are, you know, the, one of the main ways that this Torah's method is going to manifest itself because it's already, it's already, as I mentioned, it's already installed in a psychiatric and substance use disorder hospital. It's already in the outpatient program, uh, at least for, for right now. But the main way is through Satori West Life Clubs, where people can, at least for six months, if not even months and years after that, they can really soak into the Satori West method because I know it can be a little complicated, you know, when you first hear it. Um, so you can find out about when those will be opening um, by kind of setting up with the email list. I love it. And for all the listeners there, you will have full access to this. I'll have it in the show notes for all of us. Um, Jeff, I want to appreciate you, all the work you're doing and your, your long endeavor in all the, you know, being Zen meditations and all these things and, and uh, truly helping the individual in so many different ways. And with your diverse, diverse background, I think you have that expertise to help. So I appreciate you, but more importantly, also taking time just to share with the listeners at the Mindful Experiment uh, all the wonderful things that you did today. Vic, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity and let me kind of prattle on, but, you know, try to get it out there some way. I, and I appreciate your insights. And it's like you're always sort of a step ahead. And I really appreciate that about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It means a lot. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, Pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.